What's going on, cool Christian nerd community? This is your host, your brother, from another mother but the same Heavenly Father, Jamie Centeno. This podcast will help you to be the smart one in what matters in any social gathering you're in while keeping your cool factor. Now, how's this going to go down? I thought I'd hit up some of the smartest, most experienced, most keeping it real people I know to talk about subjects they are prolific in and that matter. If you are a younger believer still working out how you are seeing the world and wondering how a person of faith should engage it, this is the podcast for you. I want to keep it brief but beefy with helpful info. Let's go. We're about to hear from Tim Doring. He's been a lead pastor for years. He also is an overseer of Netzer. It's this regional networking leadership thing he's doing. He brings churches and parachurch ministries together. I'm really excited about our topic today. I pray it's a help to you as you listen in on this subject about Reformed teaching and Calvinism. Let's take a listen. Well, I'm on the line with Tim Doring. Tim, welcome to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast. What's up, Jamie? Hey, man, I got a question to ask you. I want to find out what's the nerdiest thing you've done thus far this week. Oh, man, this week, <laughs> that's pretty easy, man. I was dropping my kids off at camp, and uh, my one son, he was like, you know, He's old enough now that when he's getting into the cabin, he wants nothing to do with his parents being around. And like, <laughs> he takes his stuff off and drops it in his bunk and he turns around and I give him a big old hug in front of all his buddies and everything. Uh, Kiss him on the forehead. I'm like, I love you, man. And he's all embarrassed, red faced. You know? <laughs> he, your son totally felt like he was a nerd, but also like my dad. I can't believe he just did that to me. That's it. That's <laughs> it, man. My dad is such a nerd. No, that's cool, man. Well, you know, I have a, we have a cool Christian nerd Instagram and on there this week, I put a factoid and the factoid I put uh, for, I think it was yesterday was that for people's, for men's beards, it's proven that blonde beards grow faster than brown beards. Did you know that? I had no idea. I don't even know what the science behind that is, but it's a, it's a fact that's out there, and I just thought it'd be an interesting fact for cool Christian nerds to be uh, aware of. Well, I'm glad to be on the winning side of that equation, man. Blonde beard right here. Right. I totally haven't seen you wear a beard before. Uh, have you ever grown I one? I have, yeah. Yeah, and, you, and it grew pretty quick, man. But mine's got a little red in there, so I don't know how that factors in. Wow, look at that. Well, cool, man. You know, while pushing fun stuff to the side, we're going to get right into this. Um, The subject that we have for today, um, we had an opportunity to chit-chat a little bit uh, at a retreat about this subject, and I want to rehash that conversation because I think it was something that other people needed to listen in on. Um, But to start off, we're going to be talking about this idea of those who um, come from a more reformed doctrine, those who come um, or have subscribed to just Calvinism, what that looks like in a minute, we'll explain that. But I do want to give a disclaimer is that I am, and I'm probably, I'm sure you are as well, friends 
with those who come from this background. So I have friends that are more reformed in what they know and subscribe to. I have Calvinists, uh, friends that are Calvinists. And now I don't know if they consider me a friend. They might consider me a frenemy. I don't know. I can't speak for them. <laughs> but I consider them friends. And um, yeah, so that's, I want to start with that because as we begin to dissect this and look at this, it's going to be important that um, people know that we are in relationship with our brothers. And so we're looking at these areas of religion and just trying to get a, a good take on them because I think this is one of those areas that um, for a lot of us who are more Pentecostal in our bent, more charismatic in our bent, uh, a lot of them don't know how to really um, interact and uh, with those who have come from more or have a more reformed doctrine in their teaching or Calvinistic. So let's start off with this. Just take a moment and can you give us a synopsis of what it means if someone considers themselves to be a part of specifically those in the reform camp? Sure. Yeah. The, the reformed and to clarify, I'm no theologian. I'm not a church historian. I'm an amateur on all these levels. You know, I'm a I'm a networker in the church and uh, work to bring a lot of unity in the body of Christ and in, in, in the broadest picture of the true body of Christ. And so my knowledge of the reformed and my knowledge of uh, Calvinism is largely uh focused on uh my experience with those who come from those camps and you know gotcha. while i've while i've done my own uh, historical research and my own study um i'm not a theologian by trade you know um yep so Good. uh but but what i do know is uh, the reformed camp um everything that comes from reformation theology starts from the reformation that's why it's called reformed it starts from the protestant reformation 500 years ago and uh, really, that has to do with the, the primary tenets of the Reformation, which is the, the five main that we call them the solas of, you know, uh, sola scriptura, sola grace. And so it's by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ mm -hmm. alone, by scripture alone and, and glory alone, uh, glory, glory to God alone. And so that's the inception. The beginning of Reformed theology comes from that spot. And there's a whole bunch of different threads and camps that come out of that, but that's where it all starts. And that's where Reformation theology comes from is uh, it starts there. Um, so mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of like basic 101, you know, Reformation theology. Okay. And then what about with those who um, consider themselves more Calvinist and how is that different from reform? Yeah. And that's a really important distinction because, um, you know, when it comes to Calvinists, theology uh, that really is emphasizing one of the reformers uh, of the Reformation, because there was a number of reformers, as we know, you know, Lutheran was the, the first of the reformers. Uh, Calvin was another one. Um, and so Calvin was an extensive theologian. I mean, this guy wrote so much theologically and the Calvinist camp is um, it, it, the Calvinist theology really subscribes to that, which, john calvin himself uh his teachings his writings and so there's there's more who speak into the reformed camp than just john calvin um mm -hmm. but uh but those who are calvinists subscribe specifically to john calvin's theology and there's two main things there i mean one is he has five point there's kind of five main points of calvinism 
um, in and of itself. Uh, but then there's also some creeds that are subscribed to like the Westminster catechism and, 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 and those points are uh, doctrines that are held within uh, Calvinist theology. Good. I mean, and, and that's why I was going to ask this next question, just how is it fair to have Calvinism lumped up in this conversation or should they be a different conversation in terms of the Reformed and Calvinism? You explained something there that kind of brings them together. Um, yeah. Is that fair yeah, to do so, that? So they're kind of like they're a part of the same thing, but one's a one's a piece of the other. And so, uh, and another part of that would be covenant theology. So if you talk about Reformed theology, covenant theology, and Calvinism, they're all kind of interrelated, um, where um, that, so if you say, and, then, and you could say there's Protestantism, which is real broad, then you could say within Protestantism, there's Reformed theology, and within Reformed theology, there is Calvinism. And Reformed theology and Calvinism subscribe to covenant theology. So there's a, a number of different nuances, and, and all of them are important little nuances. But I think one thing that for our conversation that's, that's really important is to define the difference between Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. Because really, mm -hmm. what we're experiencing right now, and this is the part where, Jamie, I know you and I, like, when it comes to just uh, practically in the church, dealing with theological systems— we're really concerned about how that affects relationships, how that affects unity in the church, how that affects, yep. and, uh, and, and, the, and the real difference there uh, of, of kind of demeanor is when you hit the wall between Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. So there's like the, there's, uh, you know, basic Calvinistic theology, which is pretty close to all things reformed. But hyper-Calvinism is a whole different ballgame, you know? And I think that's, that's the most important nuance to put in there. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I bring this up is because I've noticed that there's been a trend with uh, people who have been on the more charismatic and Pentecostal in their upbringing. Uh, and then they've had something happen to them along the way that they didn't leave the faith altogether, but some of them have found themselves gravitating towards this more reformed or even hyper-Calvinism in their thinking. They become very hardcore, outspoken about it, almost belittling those that were where they say where they once were, and they almost feel like we've been enlightened now. And so they become so dogmatic that it, it does become this wall that is created uh, with this doctrine that they're not that they're now like believing and are promoting and pushing out there. Uh, what do you think is the reason for all of that? You know, um, that's a really good question, Jamie. The, the, in, in my opinion, um, there's, there's two primary points here. Um, one is that across the history of the new Testament church, there are a number of, uh, identifiers for each movement you know like if you came out of the the great awakening uh, or the second great awakening like the holiness movement where the wesley brothers you know and and methodists and all of that came out of that movement there was a real push for like personal holiness like people had to be holy and they would get into small groups and talk about how to be holy and then mm. you know uh, when you look at charles finney and you look at the the great awakening when when he's preaching you're, you're looking at people who are having 
uh, second act of grace and having these experiences with the Holy Spirit where they're kind of being set on fire. And so then there's an identification with this like passion for God. Um, and you look at the fundamentalist movement and you, you look at the, the, the Presbyterians coming out of the, the Reformation, each wave and each movement across the history of the church kind of emphasizes a specific part of what it means to walk in Christian faith. And mm -hmm. the Reformed and Calvinist uh, tradition is really big on doctrine. You know, it's, it's, it's a doctrine-centric uh, movement. And so therefore, it's really going to emphasize, like, do we have the right kind of theology? Um, and, you know, <laughs> Paul tells us that knowledge puffs up and that love builds up and not everyone who's really emphasizing doctrine is by any means you know full of the kind of knowledge that puffs you up but there's always the danger in each one of these movements to kind of experience the dark side of the movement right so mm. if you're if you're in the pentecostal camp i mean it's really easy that things can become sensationalist and we're just looking for the right. sensation of the experience um, mm -hmm. And in the same way, in the Reformed camp, it's very easy to just kind of become arrogant about your doctrine um, mm. and become judgmental about your doctrine. Or if you're in a, a, a holiness movement, you can become kind of pharisaical and legalistic about how you live your life, you know. And um, so in each movement within the church, you can there's kind of a dark side as, as well as a light side. But those who are pursuing Christ and pursuing the kingdom within those movements also have something really beautiful to offer the kingdom if they live in harmony with their other brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's good. Because we do know there's a lot of good brothers and sisters out there that might come from Reformed or might come from Calvinism. But then there's some, you know, there's some of those who just, as a representative, how they represent it can be really distasteful to those that would be of a different persuasion yeah. What 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 do we what are we saying about those who are coming off in a more um, arrogant, uh, doctrinally arrogant, whatever manner? What what's what what are some of the things that you would diagnose, if you will, um, as to what's going on inside inside of them that causes them to gravitate towards these things and come across in the way that they're coming across? So, you know, um, if I was to speak of this coming uh, more from a, a Pentecostal uh, framework, I would say there's a spirit of division, you know, um, mm -hmm. and that we know that, that the enemy comes to steal, kill and to destroy, that he comes to divide, that the, the greatest commands of the Lord are to love him with everything we've got and to love each other as we love ourselves. And so... Um, that the enemy wants to divide us from from Christ and divide us from one another. And that anytime we get a little uh, corner of something that we think we got the corner on, it's really easy for him to kind of give us a sense of, uh, you know, a, we're a little better than the person next to us. In, and that uh, seeks to cause division in the body of Christ. And, but it also tempts us with pride and says, like, I got a little bit something, something going on here, you know, that makes me feel a little better. Um, and when that happens, that's how the enemy weasels in to cause division in the body of Christ. So I would say that 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 is both the temptation of this is to help us feel a little more legit because we got some theology worked out. And it also is uh, the, the foothold of Satan to cause division um, in the body of Christ. Um, 
That, that's not to say, I mean, the, the scriptures also say that we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth and that we're supposed to guard our doctrine. So we do need to be careful about our doctrine and we need to be thoughtful about that. But if that gets me to a place where instead of being in a conversation with my brother and sister, where I'm trying to edify the body and where I'm trying to have a shared conversation that leads us into the fullness of Christ, that's the beauty of guarding your doctrine. But when it comes to just, you know, kind of dismissively condes and from a place of condescension, kind of, you know, picking off brothers and sisters, that's not the spirit of Christ. You know, that's the spirit of the accuser of the saints. Yeah, that's good. So when, when it comes to how those who would be reformed to Calvinists, you can kind of pick um, which perspective um, you want to come from. When they look at us, those who would be more Pentecostal or charismatic in their persuasion and, and just looking at the lens of scripture or looking at, at scripture through that lens, what are some of the things that they think we're an error of? So, yeah, this gets around to kind of the, the second piece of why people, I think, have kind of made that transition. Uh, some people have made the transition uh, into a reformed or even hyper Calvinist camp coming from Pentecostal background. And there's a the um, the the two systematic theologies that kind of define uh, most of evangelical Christianity and, and, and really kind of uh, Protestantism is uh, covenant theology and dispensationalism. And dispensationalism basically says that God moves um, in different times and in different eras in different ways. So he kind of changes the rules of the game. He himself doesn't change, but the way he relates to the people changes based on the different eras that he's relating with people. Um, whereas the, the Reformed camp or covenant theology basically says, there's three covenants. There's one with Adam in the garden. Then there's one for all of human history. And then there's one once uh, humans are restored. Um, and so there, there's a tension between like those who were raised in dispensational theology um, who would say, hey, there's all these kind of like different new. nuances when it comes to theology and and this is what it, it's just tricky because we have we have covenant theology and dispensational theology when it comes to pentecostalism people react from both sides of that so on one side you have reformed theologians who look at oftentimes look at pentecostal theology and they'll say you know it's driven by emotion and there's just too much emotion and while the while the Reformed and Covenantal and Calvinistic camp tend to be a lot more cerebral and in the head and doctrinal, they look at all of that and they might say, that's just emotional, you know, and, and you, you find that one of the things that you, you see in a Presbyterian church or in a Reformed church, they, they joke about it all the time, is like they have a really hard time when it comes to being spiritual, of like being expressive in worship or anything like that. And anyone who's full of the Spirit of God in those camps, that's kind of their tension, their struggle is like, here we are, we love our theology, we love following the Lord, reading the Word, understanding it. But like, is there is there life? Is there freedom? Is there is there spirit? But but that's also the complaint then, of course, against the Pentecostal Church is um, 
but they they also react against what's called dispensationalism and dispensationalism is is of course that theological uh system that says god changes the way he interacts with his people in different seasons um throughout the the history of mankind Mm -hmm. and the problem with dispensationalism when it comes to pentecostalism is that's where the doctrine of cessationism is and that doctrine says that during the apostolic era the birth of the church that there were certain gifts that were alive spiritual gifts that were alive but they're no longer present in the church um that's actually not necessarily reformed and covenant theology um that's dispensational theology that's kind of like the fundamentalist camp and everything what's interesting is is you can be reformed and calvinist but still have a theology that allows for the gifts and um so like i have some buddies who were reformed they call themselves they're self-proclaimed reformed pentecostals so okay. they're like, i got a, i got reformed theology but when it comes to the gifts i believe in a, in a present and active movement of the spirit that manifests in the gifts still and that can that actually can fit in reformed theology if you're willing to allow the expression of the spirit to move in the church so there's a cultural difference between historic reformed church which is real cerebral and then the the culture of pentecostalism which is real expressive and has a lot of emotion in there um but that doesn't mean that it's incompatible theologically theologically the biggest place is when you get into dispensationalism and it says the gifts have ceased and 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 that's where people then have a problem with pentecostalism because they believe in the cessation of the gifts yeah, so how do we do that then with our brothers and sisters? How do we actually engage them when they find that out about us and they, they're looking at us through that lens where for us, I don't know, maybe for myself, maybe I'll speak for myself and maybe a few people I know, even though we have more of a uh, Pentecostal in our, like the way we think dispensationally about what God is doing and is, is, is up to, that I don't know if we necessarily see them in error as much as we see that there's some things that they are not, um, they're not willing to embrace. They kind of have, uh, here, adhere to maybe some things that are in our minds, maybe orthodoxy. Okay, those are orthodox stuff, but maybe there's some other things that, I, I don't know if I would go as far as saying error as much as that's different. That's different than what we believe. Um, but for the other side of it, I, I believe it's more like they see us as an error. Am I right about that? Like that might be more of a typical Pentecostal approach and mindset is, okay, that's, we, we don't, we're not totally hell bent on thinking, man, you guys are just in error. You're wrong. You're doctrinally off. And that causes us not to be able to be able to cohabitate. And maybe that's just me because I am about unity and I'm about relational building more bridges than developing walls. And I have been around the Mennonites and, and Presbyterian. I've been around it all. And so I can, I can cohabitate. I can live with it. I can, I can understand where you're coming from without being insecure. So yeah, how do we do that with them? Yeah. And I think you're hitting on the, on the main point there, man. I, I like when you define your faith, primarily by your doctrine and by your belief system it becomes very difficult then to be loose in any form 
with your doctrine, right? Um, mm. And uh, but so we can pursue God in how we live. We can pursue God in how we worship. We can pursue God in how we think. You know, we're supposed to love Him with heart, mind, soul, body, strength. Like, and it, so the struggle then, like you said, for this camp is when people don't think the way we do, but we define our relationship with God based on how we think. How do mm. we have? How do we have flexibility? And and so the way that I think is really important for us to deal with that is to say, and this is great to talk to someone who has a covenant theology is we can say, how many covenants are there like that for the church? And, and they'll say, there's only one covenant, right? That's why like baptism and, and uh, the breaking of bread, the sacraments are so important in the reformed movement because there's one covenant and we're celebrating that covenant. And so then we ask them, Am I in that covenant? I profess Christ. I believe I'm saved by grace through faith. I put my trust mm -hmm. in Christ. I'm following him. Am I a part of that covenant with you? And if the answer to that is yes, then we need to be at the table together. Like we need mm -hmm. to have, this is family dinner, right? I mean, the Lord's Supper, that's a family meal. And you might not agree with me on everything, but like a healthy family, we don't have to agree on everything but we're still family. And if Christ died for you and he died for me and we're trusting in him, that keeps us at the table together. And part of what makes a family healthy is the fact that we all have different perspectives, but we learn to stay at the table and keep in the conversation. And I think that's the big challenge that we bring to the Reformed Church when we say, if you actually believe in this thing, I probably have a lot to learn from you regarding doctrine. You know, you might have a lot to teach me, but if you're going to sit there and scorn me and not have a conversation with me and reject me outright, how's that going to work? You know, and um, and I might yeah. I might have some things to teach you about what it means to have passion in your relationship with Christ, because, of course, on the on the other side of that, there's the sense of oftentimes in the Pentecostal church the that we very rarely, like you said, w would there be a rejection based on doctrine in the same way? But there might be a sense of like, yo, man, this place is beat. There's no passion. There's no life. Right. There's no vitality. Yeah. Whereas people might be really faithfully serving the Lord, but they got some emo They're kind of emotionally stuck. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And so we need to stay at the table together and work at that in order to be the full body of Christ and experience the full counsel of God. No, it's so good, especially what you said there about sometimes we, we need to be careful that we don't get our identity based on our doctrine. It yeah. is, it is important to have doctrine, but our identity goes a lot deeper than that. You know, we are, we are a child of God. We are sons yeah. and daughters. What does that all look like when we're around the cross and we've been washed with the blood that part right there from there stems a belief system and understanding of who God is, but it comes from our identity comes from sonship. Um, I think people who are in that line of thinking have a better opportunity in engaging one another and being able to work through whatever might be the differences. That's a great word. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's one, one more point about that is just that the beautiful thing about the body of Christ being one is that we don't get to choose whether we're one with each other or not. Like that's already been done. You know, the, the scripture yeah, said right. it's not right. There's only one body, whether we're unified or not. Now we get, we get say in that. And so like, you know, a family mm -hmm. is one, a, a marriage. If I'm, if I'm married with my wife, we're one. Mm -hmm. That's what the scripture says. If we live in unity um, and kind of submit to that oneness that already exists, our life's going to be a whole lot better <laughs> if we don't and we're not unified, that's on us and that's going to hurt. And so I think your question is getting at 
what I know your heart is, which is you have huge heart to see the body of Christ unified. Um, and that's because you're like, we're one, so we're going to be effective in the kingdom and we're going to experience the glory of God and reveal the glory of God to the extent that we submit ourselves to the truth of scripture that we're one. And that takes work, you know, and that takes humility. But, but if we don't, we're just rejecting the reality of what the scriptures already say that we're one. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So one last question here, but something that kind of brings us out, you know, all to a head is, is there anything up, anything else that you would say we're really up against when it comes to hashing out what we need to hash out with, each of these belief systems, is there something that could actually be a spirit that even functions that causes that division to um, stay in place that we from all sides need to be aware of? Yeah, um, there's one thing I think that's so important right now for us in the body of Christ at large. And um, that's we need to understand how to define our purpose as the church. And I, I really feel like we've started to lose sight of this, that our purpose of the church is not um, it, it's not to be good. It's not to know the right stuff. It's not even to make disciples. That's our mission, but it's not our purpose. Our purpose, we exist for the glory of God. Um, mm -hmm. And we're told in Ephesians, too, that the that the eternal purpose of the church is revealed through Christ. And that's to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Um, and so the, the manifold means all the individual parts. So it's like there's many, many parts of God's wisdom that are revealed through the church. So uh, that's our that, like when we don't see that we can be working really hard at trying to grow our church and make it big or we can be working really hard at having the right doctrine or we can be working really hard at all those things which are not unimportant. They're important things. But the centerpiece of who we are is we're people who reveal the oneness of God. Adam and Eve, through their beautiful relationship, revealed the oneness of the Trinity. And we as the church, when we're functioning together, we reveal the glory, the manifold wisdom of God, the glory of God. And if we don't keep that center target, that we're here to enjoy God and to glorify God, if we don't keep that center target, it's just so easy for like there to be division because of the pride of like how big my church is or how right my doctrine is or how holy I am or, you know, how good my theology, you know, all that stuff. Um, and instead of it being, you know, all glory goes to God and the way that glory happens uh, most is when we're humble and we're together in this thing. And when we're unified, that's when it's like, man, the, the, the triune God who's one together is being revealed through the church and that's just the beauty you know that's where that's what it's about we got to stay focused there yeah that's beautiful because it's this picture that as we do that there's so many things that dissolve so many things that become non-issues when we keep that front and center it reminds me of how the tribes were camped around the tabernacle they were all focused and centered and focused on the God's glory and, and what he was doing in their midst, even to the point where their backs were turned to their enemies from the yeah. outside. But because they were focused on the glory, there were so many things that dissolved and got taken care of, where even a prophet who came to, uh, Balaam the prophet who came to curse him wasn't even able to achieve what he was setting out to do because they were all 
focused on the glory of God and they were all together and they were all one. What a great picture. Man, that's it, man. One of my favorite passages. So beautiful, dude. Man, well, we, we consolidated like two hours of conversation we had at a retreat to like just a couple of minutes here. <laughs> you did a fantastic job of doing that. And what a, what a teaser. I know there's many more things that we could talk about when it comes to this, but I think this was a great taste and a look at, you know, just this, this subject and how we as Pentecostals or charismatic, how we can engage our brothers and sisters that might come from a, dif- a, a different line of thinking, a different um, tradition or orthodoxy. So from here, how can people learn more about you and what you're doing and just connect with it? Any social media things or uh, websites? Yeah, man. Uh, so I lead an organization called Netzer, which is Regional Expressions of the Church. It's helping local congregations and pastors function together uh, across any uh, given geographic region and uh, function as the regional church. And um, so our website is netzer.org. That's N-E-T. Zer.org, and that's just a Hebrew word that means branch or shoot, like out of ancient roots, a new shoot comes up. So Netzer.org, you can find us on Facebook too, and uh, and check out what we're doing. Excellent. Thank you again, Tim, for being a part of this cool Christian Nerds podcast. Thank you for being a listener and now being a guest. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, appreciate you too. One of the coolest Christian nerds I ever met, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. All right, see you. I think there's some cool things you can take away from that combo. Come back again because we got some more cool Christian nerd topics. Oh, and if you like this podcast and want to see people you care about be a part of our cool Christian nerd tribe, share this podcast with them. Till next time, this is Jamie Centeno reminding you it's smart to keep your cool. Peace.